Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned into another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Okay. Well, that wasn't exactly a second, but I appreciate you holding on there. Well, that was some interesting sounds going on there. <laughs> that was the ever <laughs> the ever important coffee. <laughs> I figured. <laughs> so how are you this July 4th? Well, just trying to maintain and keep the wolves off the porch. <laughs> uh, well... I want to tell all the listeners out there who I'm speaking with, the man that you hear speaking, that is the award-winning songwriter, singer, occasional performer, magazine columnist, turkey hunter, Gary Sefton. As a songwriter, he's had great success in country music. More than 100 artists have recorded his work. Some of those artists would include Tom T. Hall, John Anderson, Bobby Bear, Waylon Jennings, Chris Ledoux, Norma Jean, just to name a few. He is originally from Florida, currently based in Tennessee. It's a great honor to welcome this great storyteller and songwriter, Gary Sefton. I really appreciate you being with us. It's my pleasure. So I think most stories are best from the beginning. Where do you call home? Where in Florida are you from? little town in central Florida, Lake Wales, right in the middle of the state, between Tampa and Vero Beach. So would this be inland? Yes, right in the middle of the state, 70 miles to the west coast and 70 to the east coast. Okay. How would you describe this part of Florida? A lot of people are familiar with Orlando and they're familiar with Miami, but there's a lot of places in Florida. What What is this part of the state like? Well, the, the hilly part is orange groves, and then it goes down into the Kissimmee Valley, which is cattle country, and that's kind of where I was raised up, and I was a, a young bulletproof cowboy for the beginning of my my career. So it's uh, there was 105 people in my graduating class, so it, it, was, it was a small town. You could read a book and drive down Main Street, at the same time, <laughs> but it's not like that anymore. Hmm. And so what were your interests early on? Well, I wanted to be the best bareback bronc rider in Florida. <laughs> but I, uh, I had a horse fall on me and, and uh, laid me up for three or four months, and I got interested in music and, uh, of course, was inspired by Hank Williams and people like that, and a friend of mine was opening a coffee house in Miami that I went to school with, and he came by and picked me up and took me down to Miami to help him open the coffee house, and his wife was a a singer and songwriter, and she taught me how to play guitar, and uh, she also was a great songwriter, and she helped me with that craft, and that was early on, and there's a lot of years between the beginning and being productive, but I, I picked around and wrote and played in clubs and things like that, and I 
I wrote a song called Ready Mix Revenge, which was a, I thought was a hit. And I gave it to a friend of mine who was a, had some connections in Nashville. His name was Lance Carpenter. And I said, Lance, you take this song up there and you tell them that you're the only one that can record it. And maybe you can get a recording contract. And Lance was a real talent. And so he did that. He just, he took it to a guy named Clarence Selman, who was, who was running Jim Reeves Enterprises at the time. Clarence got him a record deal, and the record didn't really do anything. It didn't have any distribution, but it was a it was a hit song in Australia by a guy named Johnny Chester. But a hit song in Australia, and they only had one chart, so that was competing with the Beatles and the Bee Gees and everything else. But it was top ten. But my publisher from overseas called me and said I I wouldn't go out and buy a Cadillac on the strength of that success. It's a very small market, which it, which it was. But anyhow, Clarence figured if I could write a song like that, that I could write more songs. And he hounded me to come to Nashville and worked on me for two years. And finally, I agreed and came up and worked for him and did Jim Reeves Enterprise. What were you thinking? What was going through your head when you came up to Nashville? Well... Clarence said, told me I'd be driving a Cadillac in six months. So that was kind of <laughs> what I had in mind. Two years later, I walked into Clarence's office and I said, Clarence, you told me if I came to Nashville in six months, I'd be driving the Cadillac. I said, I've been here two years. I owe Mary $5,000. I owe BMI $5,000 and I can't hardly buy tires from my pickup and he spread his arms and he said well where in the hell else are you going to get that kind of credit <laughs> so you know you have stars in your eyes when you come to Nashville but I soon found out it was a, it was a hard job but I needed to be here so what kept you going just I was making a living and it beat hauling hay so at that age, I wasn't really concerned about my future. I just, hand to mouth was fine with me. And I was in, I had good friends. I made a lot of good friends in the music business. So I was happy. You were mentioning earlier that when you were growing up in Florida, you were inspired by Hank Williams. Who were some of the other artists that you would say had the biggest influence on you? Well, believe it or not, when I was in high school, my friend that opened the coffee house down in Miami, his his dad had a club in New York, and they sent down a, an album of Bob Dylan, and nobody alive knew who Bob Dylan was, but I listened to him, and I had heard myself on tape, and I said, well, shoot, I can sing that good, and <laughs> so, so, but but I. I liked his songwriting, and uh, Ian Tyson, Ian and Sylvia, all of the songwriters, but I, I especially liked Hank. We got introduced through a songwriter named Buzz Rabin, who is a great, great songwriter and a really great guy. How did you come to meet Buzz? Well, we, we just kind of ricocheted around tonight. I really hadn't spent a lot of time with him other than online. And the last time I saw him was at my producer's funeral. But 
we just we we exchange pleasantries on online mostly. But he is a great talent. You were talking about the artist in Australia that recorded your your work. Of all the artists I listed at the beginning, a lot of these are really, really legendary country singers that are still known today, and some of them still still working, still recording. Who was the first big artist to record a Gary Sefton song? Ray Price did Different Kind of Flower, and uh, oddly enough, after 40 years, it's still played every Friday and Saturday night at every dance hall in Texas. It's become a standard. Unfortunately, I don't get paid for any of that, but knowing that I have created something that has that kind of longevity that people still enjoy it has, makes you feel good. What did you think of Ray Price's recording of that song? Well, I didn't like it at first because he put it in a Texas two-step time, and uh, I did it on my album in, in straight 4-4, four, four, and I but since it's become so popular in Texas, I like it a lot. He's a great singer, and there, it was just the production that, that was foreign to what I had in mind when I wrote the song, but it, it turned out good. Who do you think has done the best interpretation of a Gary Sefton song? I would John Anderson did did a good job on a couple of my songs. <clears throat> Jesse Clay and the 1205 and Bad Morning for Leaving were both, he really, he really gets into the song. And so that's what a songwriter wants to happen. <clears throat> I'd say the one that probably that took something that I thought wasn't that good and really made it great was a lady named Wilma Burgess. She really, it, she was a great singer. And I wrote a song for her and I wasn't that enthusiastic about it, but she made it, took it from an ordinary song to a great song, although it was on the B-side of, her, of a record that didn't sell anything. What was the song that Wilma Burgess recorded? It was called I'll Always Love the Days, and she gave me the title, and I went home and wrote the song, and, and that's it. That's one of the reasons she recorded it, because she got half of the writers, I think. Hmm. I'm curious to know about this song that you wrote, Soldier of Fortune. What was the inspiration behind that song? Um, it's hard just hard to say about that. It just the title just kind of fell to me, and and then I just followed it out. It takes it always takes me a long time to write a song, so it. I worked on it two or three months off and on, and, uh, and that's what came out. I think the incredible thing about that song, the artist who recorded it, inductee of the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame, Tom T. Hall, such a great songwriter himself. How did he come to know that song? Well, he was a friend of mine, and, and his brother Hillman and I were real close. And Hillman heard me sing the song and he he took it to Tom and of course Hillman had an idea about how to record it. He wanted him to put the Osmond brothers in there, which they did, and the Osmond brothers sang harmony on it in a key so high only a dog could hear it, but it turned out good and, and Tom really hooked that song too. He did 
he did as good a job on it as I could do. I was listening the other day to a song that you wrote, The Sadder the Story, The Sweeter the Song. And you've done a little bit of recording yourself. I'm hoping you can tell us about the recordings that you've made. Well, I was, I did, that was the title song to an album. And my producer, Earl Richards, we were, I got a deal from Tom T. He had a studio. He had just opened a studio called The Toy Box. And I, I talked to Tom and got a reduced rate on doing the first recording in that studio. Nobody had ever been in it before. So we went in and did two or three songs, and the studio was great. And my producer, Earl Richards, told, he said, we needed a title for this album. And I said, well, let me think about it. And I went home, and I, since most of the songs on the album are story songs, I said, the sadder the story, the sweeter the song. That would be a, a good album title. So... We met back at the studio, and I said, I've got the title for the album. He said, okay, let me hear it. I said, the sadder the story, the sweeter the song. He said, that's perfect. Let me hear the, let me hear the song. So, well, in the world, it's not a song. It's a title song. It's the title to the album. He said, well, it's, it's going to be a song. So I went home, and I wrote the song. <laughs> but I probably spent two or 3,000 hours in the studio doing producing and recording demos and and this and that. But uh, this, for a songwriter or a producer working in Nashville with the studio musicians is, is like being a, a jet pilot. You, you, all you have to do is tell them where to stop. They're, you just have so much power because they're so gifted. Another thing about you that I, I mentioned this at the top, you're well known as a turkey authority, <laughs> and it's fascinating that you have written and recorded songs all about turkeys. There's, It's called The Magnificent Bird, songs about wild turkeys and wild turkey hunters. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, that, I am an avid turkey hunter. I've I also written a book about turkey called uh, Lessons Learned from the Magnificent Bird, but I've just been infatuated and eat up with wild turkeys for a long time, and and there's all kinds of art that is dedicated to wild turkeys, sculptures and paintings and books and novels, but there is no music. So I said, well, since there's no music, I, there's a niche that maybe I can fill, so so I did. Uh, I wrote eight songs of, and recorded them. We did it in a in San Angelo, Texas, with friends of mine, and it, of course, had rave reviews. And but it sales. It it really. I didn't have a label or anything, and it's it's the narrowest of niches. But I enjoyed it, and and people still play those songs, which is what it's all about to me. I like that phrase, the narrowest of niches. <laughs> That's pretty good. Tell us about what the fascination is with the wild turkey. It's a bird that you don't get to see a lot in the wild, but 
I can say just from my own experience, when you see one, it's a special thing. But what about for you, someone who it's such a passion? What is the allure of wild turkeys? Well, the real allure to me is being able to communicate with another species in their language and manipulate them to your advantage. But everything about the wild turkey is magnificent. His looks, his actions, his gobble, his struts, his, uh, and it's a tactical sport. You have to do a lot of things right to, to take one home with you. So it's the ultimate hunting sport to me. Do you prefer it in the oven or deep fried? I prefer it in the oven. Uh, <laughs> if you, you deep fry a turkey, it changes the flavor. <laughs> and any turkey is pretty good deep fried. The wild turkey has is the square root of what a turkey should taste like. But in order to, to bake them, you have to pick them. And in order to pick them, you have to scald them. So it takes a little bit more preparation to get a turkey ready for the oven but once you do once you taste a wild turkey that's been baked that's what turkey is supposed to taste like it's a lot different than the, the turkeys you buy in the store hmm are there wild turkey down in florida mm-hmm hmm. yeah florida has their own subspecies there there are five subspecies and florida has what they call the osceola they're a little smaller and they're a little wilder. I don't know, but they're they're not much different. Then hmm. I'm guessing uh, because of your interest, there are more turkey in Tennessee. Uh, I don't know. There's it's about the same, I'd say. But I've hunted. I've hunted Texas. I've hunted all over. In fact, as a as an outdoor rider and I'm working for game call companies and things like that, I. I've most of the states in Mexico. What would you say that all these years of turkey hunting have taught you? Patience. <laughs> if, you, if you'll be still, good things can happen. <laughs> but I've, uh, I'm beginning to do some more writing, and I've got a Got a, a Joe Dippie song coming out. Oh. He and his aunt recorded this about 20 years ago. And it's really a good song called Sweet Dreams Die Hard. And uh, in fact, I think the video of them doing it is available on YouTube. But they're getting all of the legal deals ironed out and it should be out soon. But it's it's really a... it's. It's country, but it's a, it's, and you know, Joe Dizzy's a great singer. Oh, yeah. Is there anything else coming out? Anything in the horizon for Gary Sefton? Well, I've written a really, a song that took me three months of hard work to write called Isn't This America? And it's fairly patriotic. And I'm not, I'm not sure. It's, that I can get it recorded for that reason. But it, I think if at this time of the year and the way things are going, if I could get a record on it, it would really be be something that played around the world. So I'll just have to see what I can what I can get done. 
And w- what was the name of this song, the patriotic song that, that you've written? Isn't This America. Isn't This America. Great title. Mm-hmm. And you want to record it yourself? I don't care who does it. <laughs> <laughs> as, long, as long as it gets out there, it's the song that Joe Diffie and Don, Don Anita is, is his wife, his aunt's name, but it was a big disappointment to me that that song never got recorded other than by them. And after all these years, hopefully people are going to get to hear it. So, and that's way back in my mind. My real uh, initiative in writing songs is to entertain people. Folks, we have something here as an exclusive on the Paul Leslie Hour. As you probably gathered, this was recorded on July 4th, 2020. But Gary Sefton has sent us the demo of Isn't This America? And we'd like to play it for you now. This country we united is getting so divided for reasons I just don't understand. Isn't this America where freedom reigns and Jesus saved? Isn't this America, land of the free? Thanks to the brave, don't we shine the light of liberty? Sacrifices made to create and defend our precious freedom. Who would want to change the laws that made our country great? Or take the Bible and the flag out of the classroom? We are in this together, one nation under God forever. All for one and one for all, the way it should be. We put politics aside, show some patriotic pride, and work together for the sake of this great country. Isn't this America where freedom reigns and Jesus saves? Isn't this America where all lives matter just the same? Isn't it plain to see how blessed we are to be living in this place? We Americans, then God bless the USA. Don't we shine the light of liberty for all the world to see? Isn't this America? Don't we love our country? What would you say is the best thing about being Gary Sefton? Well, <laughs> I guess I've I've been semi-successful at just about everything I've set my mind to do, so I don't have any any serious regrets. I, was, 
I could have done some things different, but I, I don't think I would have had near as much fun. <laughs> I always like to end the show. I give the guests the microphone, and this isn't limited to music necessarily. What would you say to anybody tuned in? Well, I'd say that this is a strange and unusual year, and that four months ago, nobody would have ever imagined the situation as it is today. And all I know to do is to just wear your mask when you're in public and try to stay safe and and love America. America is the greatest place on the face of the earth, and there's no doubt about it. And in spite of what here on the news or people say in protest, it's still the best place to be, and it's where everybody wants to be. So just be thankful you're you're here in America, and bless your heart. Well, Gary Sefton, thank you very much for making the time to talk to us. Keep me apprised of that song. Yeah, I'll send you a, an MP3 of, of it when I just me and the guitar so you can draw your own conclusions. And I've, I've written a, another song called Breaking Winds of Destruction, which is borderline indelicate, but it's, <laughs> it's about, <laughs> it's more about uh, global warming and the cattle industry, but I'm still doing a little writing when I find a good piece of wood, But and I will keep you informed, and it's great talking to you, and I'll be uh, in touch. You do the same. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Happy Independence Day, sir. Thank you, and same to you. All right. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. Hosted, written, and produced by Paul Leslie. Intro theme song, Alexander's Ragtime Band, written by Irving Berlin, performed by Dan Barrett. Outro scatting G-Things, improvised, performed, and produced by John Goodwin. Until next time. Goodbye.